0: You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning, Highland family. How are we doing this morning? Good, praise the Lord. Like you said, my name is Ben Calkins. I am I've been on staff here serving with our college ministry for the past three school years now. My wife, Megan, and I have been married for a little over a year and a half, and we have been members here at Highland for just over six years now. And so it is a privilege to be opening up the Word of God with you this morning. So if you would, would you take your copy of God's Word and go ahead and turn it to Psalm chapter one, Psalm one, it'll be right in the middle of your Bible, hopefully chapter one, that'll be the main passage that we're camping out in this morning. So, while you do that, I want to give you this question to be thinking about. The question is what is the best compliment you have ever been given? What is the best compliment? you have ever been given. Maybe you can think back to something from long ago or something recent, either told to you by a parent or a trusted mentor or a close friend or even a brother and sister because they can actually compliment you too or whatever it might be. But think back to that compliment that just really the Lord used to stand out to you and encourage you. And what I would say is I would say that that compliment, while it might be really encouraging and really good there is no such compliment as high in my opinion as the compliment of being called someone that is devoted And mm-hmm. that is really the theme of what we're going to be looking at in psalm 1 today what i believe to be the theme of this passage is is what it looks like to be this devoted tree that is planted and rooted in god's word Sure, someone can call you funny or smart or pretty or witted, but it doesn't really stand up, in my opinion, to the compliment of being devoted. If we're going to talk about devotion, we probably need some kind of working definition to be kind of having in our frame of reference. So if you're taking notes, I would love for you to just write this down. It says, devotion is to commit through exceeding love and loyalty to something or someone devotion is exceeding love and loyalty to something or someone. Someone can be, uh, it's not just a short term thing, devotion. It, It can be, but in this case, we're talking long term, thick or thin. There's love and there's loyalty. It's not just, oh, this is convenient for me. I guess I'll be devoted to this thing now. But it's Hey, in the valley, in the mountain, we are devoted. You can be devoted to something. You can be devoted to a particular cause. There are many causes that are great and godly to be devoted to. Or you can be devoted to someone. Husbands to their wives, wives to their husbands, parents to their children, teachers to their students. Those are just a few of the examples of devotion. But what we'll see here is that there really is nothing like being devoted. So with that in mind, let's get some context for our passage in Psalm 1. All of the Psalms really are a collection of songs or spiritual songs that are meant to be kind of read, they were read out loud, but they are also just represent a bunch of different emotions. There are a bunch of different types of different Psalms. There are Psalms of lament that that vocalize sadness and mourning and grief to the Lord. There are Psalms of thankfulness, Psalms of praise that vocalize just praise to the Lord for his character who he's been how he's been faithful. And then there are psalms like the one we'll look at today psalm 1 that are psalms of wisdom. There are wisdom psalms. These psalms are typically a little bit more abstract. Sometimes they have big overarching concepts about to say about the Lord, his character. Sometimes they have very specific very specific things to say about the fear of the Lord or growing in wisdom or growing in godliness. Additionally, we don't know who wrote Psalm 1. There are about half the Psalms to be thought to be written by David, but then there are a whole other half that we don't know who the author is. One of my favorite things about the Psalms in general, but specifically Psalm 1, is all the different little stylistic elements that there are throughout the Psalms that are used to evoke all these different emotions. We, just in Psalm 1 alone, we see repetition, we see similes, we see alliterations, we see all sorts of imagery and comparisons and all other sorts of geeky talk, you know? But one of the things that I want us to focus in on is this comparison between the devoted and the distracted another way to say it is the comparison between the blessed and the judged or the righteous and the wicked and how there are these two alternatives that are pitted against each other and the Lord wants one for us so clearly I think this passage is so so critical for a time like this a week that we've just come out of wickedness is everywhere just turn on the news. You'll see another update of wickedness. Wickedness here, wickedness there. And But Psalms 1 promises us that in Christ, there is hope. And that in the midst of wickedness, we can be like this devoted tree that is planted in God's word. So now that we have some context and definitions to go off of, let's dive into our passage. We'll just be going verse by verse through it. Psalm 1, verse 1, reads like this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. We'll stop there. The first thing I want us to see if we're taking notes is devotion hinges on disassociation. Devotion hinges on disassociation. The psalmist starts out this psalm by repeating himself three times with the thing that this blessed man or woman should avoid or things that they should put off. But he's not simply doing it just for fun. He's not repeating himself just because he can. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The psalmist knows that in order for the blessed man, the blessed woman to make room for the godly things, the old things have to go. The old things have to go. They must first disassociate themselves from the things of old to make room for godliness, to make room for the things of the Lord. This principle is not just seen in the Old Testament or in Psalms alone. It's actually seen all throughout Scripture, all around the New Testament. One of the examples is Ephesians four twenty-two through 24. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screens behind me. But Ephesians 4 says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Listen to that verse. We must put off our old selves, which belong to our former manner of life to be renewed by the spirit of our minds, verse 23 says. For the renewing to come, we must leave the former with the former, the old with the old, and then we have to make room for the Lord to move and to grow and to prune and to up, uproot some of these old habits, the things that we give ourselves to. Another verse that it's not on the screens, but it emphasizes this point so well is Romans thirteen fourteen. It says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. No provisions. That's not just a principle that sounded good in the Old Testament, so they were like, oh yeah, let's include it here and there in the New Testament. That's, that's probably a good thing. No. It is a critical theme that is absolutely essential for the entire redemptive narrative of scripture. In order for the new to come, the old must go. We must detach ourselves from the things of old, disassociating ourselves from the things of old. That's why the psalmist saw that it was so important that he put it at the very, very beginning of not only this passage, but that's how the entire collection of Psalms starts out, is hey, the blessed man or woman must remove themselves from these things. Even in Psalm 1-1, it recognizes that there are different levels, different to the intensifying nature of sin. It's almost as if sin is a spiral and we can just sit and sit and get further and further in. The scripture says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The majority of scholars agree that these verbs in the Hebrew naturally intensify and build on themselves. Walks, stands, sits. The psalmist is not just repeating himself because he can. He's emphasizing these things to emphasize the prohibition there. He begins by talking and say, by saying, he walks not in the counsel of the wicked. That's where it starts. Our spiraling of sin, we just kind of glance at it. We say, oh, I walk by it. I'm, I'm, not take, I'm not gonna stand there quite yet. I don't wanna associate myself fully with it. I'll just kind of dabble in it here or there. Glancing at it, it entices you. It's starting to consume your thoughts. It's starting to even take up some of your time. It might start taking some of your resources. It starts by walking in it. And then we get a little deeper. And the psalmist says, we stand. The blessed man or woman does not stand in the way of sinners. You get in deeper. Now you're by the sin. The sin is right there beside you. You're standing with it. You're starting to associate with it more often than before. Your heart has slowly gotten even harder towards that sin. And you're so defensive. And you start to see it as more socially acceptable. So you'll compromise here or compromise there. You're starting to stand by the sin. Then lastly, you sit even further. You're as deep in as you can get. Blessed man or woman does not sit in the seat of golfers. You're sitting in the sin. You're settled in it. When trusted friends try to call you out, your walls of defense are so high that you can't even see that they have what's best in mind for you because you're blinded by the schemes of the enemy and the lies of deceit that you have bought and taken as your truth. But the enemy has you right where he wants you. You're settled in the sin. As I prepared this message, this was a question that I had to wrestle with in my own heart of Ben, where are you in this spiraling? How prone I am even to this spiraling of whether I'm walking, standing, or sitting in the sin, and whether it is pride or comparison or just taking what other people's opinions are of me and holding it as my absolute identity. I need to repent of those things and I need to be aware of how prone we all I am and we all are to just buying little small lies of the enemy that will lead us to even further and further sin. And the psalmist says, hey, disassociate yourself from these things. Don't be around these things. Don't hang around these things. Overall, we cannot avoid this problem of evil. We must disassociate ourselves from it if we want to increase devotion in our lives. Now we look to Psalm 1 verse 2 for our next point. Verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. I love this verse right here. It's such a beautiful picture of the redemptive, restorative power of Scripture, but also the Christian's relationship to Scripture and how we should be meditating on it and hinging on it as if it was our everything. Here we see devotion hinges on delight. Devotion hinges on delight. Our first point was devotion hinges on our disassociation. Now we see devotion hinges on delight. Where there is demolition, there is almost always rebuilding that follows. We talked about the demolition already, the disassociating, the removing, the putting off of the old but now we must do the work to let the Lord rebuild us exactly how he wants us, which is around the fixed word of God. Where there is a hole, the word of God will always be sufficient to fill it. Whether the hole is in our minds and our thinking, the heart of our feelings, there is a, where there's a hole, the Lord will always be sufficient to fill it. There is no substitute for the word of God. In order for us to delight in this word, in the word of God, we must know his word. We must regularly be exposing ourselves to his word. Psalm 119 says this, it's on the screens. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Now this verse doesn't just apply to all the young men in the room. This verse applies to every single stage and walk of life there is. How can a young woman keep her way pure? By guarding it according to his word. How can I get through this life while I'm so caught up in the opinion of other people? By guarding my heart according to his word. Meditating, memorizing, and even praying scripture is the most beneficial thing we can do. And it never returns void. That investment never returns void. However, that kind of delight does not just come in an instant. It is cultivated over years, a lifetime of deeply, intimately walking with Jesus. And praise the Lord, he doesn't just leave us on our own to do that. He has sent his very own spirit, the Holy Spirit, to dwell within those who are in Christ to guide us. Scripture says to lead us into all truth because we will fumble it on our own, radically fumble it on our own. But the spirit is there within us to guide us, to never leave us nor forsake us. There is no better scripture to emphasize this point of delighting in Christ than 1 John 5, verse 3. It says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not what, church? Burdensome. Burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. We cannot claim we love God and not seek to hold fast to his word and hide it in our hearts. His commandments are not meant to be a burden. So often we walk around with our head held low, our shoulders slouched because we say, oh, the Lord, he hates me because I didn't read my Bible today. I'm just a terrible Christian. I'm this, I'm that. And those are lies. Yes, he wants you to spend time with him, but he doesn't want to put that burden on you. He came to take the burden off of you. Put it on his son. Yes, we should respond in obedience. Yes, we should delight in spending time with his word. But his commandments, scripture says, are not burdensome. So therefore, it's a delight to get to walk with the Lord. Thank goodness he has given us his word to hold fast to in times of um, instability. We see Our devotion hinges on disassociation. Our devotion hinges on delight. And verse three shows us our next point is devotion hinges on dependence. Devotion hinges on dependence. Verse three shows us this. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Here we see our devotion hinges on dependence. Trees are forced to be dependent on water. And here the psalmist compares this blessed man, this blessed woman, to a tree that is rooted in Scripture, surrounding themselves constantly meditating on the Word of God. And it doesn't just stop there. It just says a few things about this tree. First, it says this tree is one that is planted. It does not just merely grow. It was one that was planted. There are probably trees all over and forests everywhere that were just randomly scattered seed and the trees are still doing fine. But the Lord, who is our gardener, has planted us exactly where you are, exactly for a time like this, when we get to just depend on him because he has planted us there for a reason. Next, we see in this verse that the tree that's planted are beside streams that are constant, constantly moving, constantly flowing with life. The tree wouldn't thrive if the streams were just dried up or if the stream wasn't even there. But scripture says that the streams are many. They're constantly flowing with life. I would know. I grew up in Houston. My house backed up to a bayou and that bayou, I promise you, never barely had water in it unless it was flooding, which happened about four times a year. But. Um, That stream, that bayou, never had water in it. And if it did, the water was never running. And because of it, there was no life around it. There has to be living, active streams of water for us to grow, for us to have life, truly, true life. Lastly, we see that this tree bears innumerable fruit. A fruit that can't be even quantified. Scripture says that the, it doesn't even begin to list the fruit. It just says, in its season, its leaf does not wither. Because the return on investment of hiding the word of God in our life bears innumerable benefits and dividends. Fifty years down the line from when you memorize this scripture, the Lord will be faithful to remind you of that scripture and how he stored it away in our heart. And that is the kind of fruit that it bears. The fruit is innumerable. So we see our devotion hinges on our disassociation from sin. It hinges on our delight, hinges on our dependence. However, the next couple of verses in Psalm 1 flips the comparison around. So I know we said we were looking at devoted or distracted, blessed or judged, righteous versus wicked. So let's see what it says about verses 4 and 5. The wicked are not so, they're not like the tree that we just talked about, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Which, frankly, that sounds pretty intense. But it's, we see here that the chaff are defined by lack of purpose. The chaff are defined by lack of purpose. Frankly, the chaff are distracted. They are distractions in our life that hinder us from devotion. But some of you are wondering, Ben, what in the world is chaff? And that is an understandable question. So let me tell you, back in the day, my generation wouldn't necessarily uh, understand this, but at, at one point there was a time when machines just didn't do all the work for us. And so there was a time that the crop harvester, the farmer would take all the seed and he would kind of scatter it around on the threshing floor. And then once he had all the seeds scattered around, the oxen, the cattle, the large animals would come in and he would just kind of trample on it. It would trample on it, and mash it all up, and then it would, in that process, the seed, the barley, the wheat, the grain that was good for harvest, that seed um, would be inside of this kind of cluster, this um, chaff if you will, the outer side. And once those things were separated, the animals would go away and the farmer would take his kind of pitchfork, whatever you want to call it, and he would scoop it all up and he would toss it in the air. Once he tossed it in the air, the chaff, that outer kind of wasting away part that was useless, it would go blown in the wind. And then the seed that was good for harvest would fall right back to the ground. The harvester would take it all up, and then he would go about his business. He just worked really hard for that. The chaff, useless, gone. Now, in other words, uh, I would simply compare chaff very similarly to this to bubble wrap. And I'm sure you can all relate to this meme somehow, but um, you might be also saying, Ben, how in the world is chaff like bubble wrap? And that is an understandable question. Bubble wrap, I would say, has a very limited purpose. Its purpose is simply to preserve. However, once the package that the bubble wrap's holding gets delivered safely, the bubble wrap, it did its job. And it's not needed anymore. Sure, we might keep it around for our four-year-old, or in Joey from Friends's case, forty-year-old's entertainment value, right? But it doesn't serve a purpose anymore. However, what should more of us care? What should we care about more—the bubble wrap or the package? The farmer would never just abandon the wheat that he worked so hard to cultivate just so he could chase after the chaff that he's trying to gather back up and bring it back in. No, there's no gathering it up. It has no lasting function. There are no roots to hold it steady. It doesn't need any water. The chaff is rootless, weightless, useless, and worthless. It has small momentary value, sure. And it can provide small momentary enjoyment, but then poof, gone, no purpose. So Christian, that begs the question of if the Lord is the harvester, which he is in our life, what is the chaff in our lives that's keeping us from further devotion? What is the chaff in our lives keeping us from further devotion? Is it a particular relationship? Is it a particular relationship to something, a a gift or a distortion of that gift? What might that chaff be in your life? Highland, we must ask ourselves, what is keeping you, what is keeping me from the next step of obedience with Christ? Hebrews calls us to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that Christ has set before us. But the enemy over and over and over again is taking our lunch because we're so easily distracted and just caught up in the things of this world when Christ wants us to be running the race he has set out for us. Ultimately, The Lord just wants our devotion. Realistically, if we go back to that list of things that our devotion hinges on, our disassociation, our delight, our dependence, that is an impossible list to measure up to. We all fall short outside of Christ. We associate ourselves with the things of this world and so far often find our gratification in the things that Christ died for. Or we so slowly delight in the Lord while quickly delighting in the things of this world, whether that's even our sports team or our favorite hobby or whatever it might be, and we so slowly delight in the Lord. Or we so are so dependent upon our own experiences, our own social ability, our own this or that, that we fail to depend on the Lord and hinge on Him. However, the hope remains the same for Christian and non-Christian alike, that the beauty of this Psalm is that with Christ, he invites us in to the promise of being like the devoted tree. Christ is the definition of devotion. At the beginning, we define devotion as committing through exceeding love and loyalty to something or someone. And oh, how verse six in Psalm one wraps this up beautifully. This idea of Christ is our devotion. Verse six reads, "For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." This entire passage revolves around that word there in verse six. No, I made sure to underline that word in my Bible. No, the Hebrew word there is pronounced yoday, yoday, and really what that means is to know intimately or even to know from experience. So really the scripture reads, for the Lord knows intimately the way of the righteous. For the Lord knows from experience, the way of the righteous. Jesus didn't just talk the talk, but he walked the walk to the point of death, death on the cross for you and for me. However, and please, if you didn't hear anything else that I said in this message, hear this. Our devotion is impossible without first praising Christ for his devotion to us. Jesus modeled devotion for us, not so that we can distract ourselves with the chaff, but so we can be devoted to him. He perfectly satisfies every point of devotion that we talked about earlier. He modeled perfect disassociation when he said, when scripture says he was tempted in every way, but without sin. Scripture, he perfect, scripture says he perfectly models perfect delight when he says he saw that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross for us scripture says that he modeled perfect dependence when he said not my will but yours be done Lord our devotion is impossible without first praising Christ for his devotion to us now I cannot tell you what the next step of devotion is for you maybe it's deleting that app off your phone or off your tablet maybe it's committing to being a man or woman of God's word by regularly exposing yourself to it, letting it search you. And if you have no idea where to start, start in the Psalms. We already got Psalm 1 checked off the box for you. So just pick up with Psalm 2 tomorrow and ask someone to hold you accountable in that way. Or maybe that next step of devotion is asking someone to hold you accountable in a different way. Or maybe that next step of devotion is as simple as signing up for new member class or taking the next step of obedience with being baptized. Or maybe you're tired of running, you're tired of distractions, and you just need to fully and completely surrender your life to Jesus. But please don't leave here today without doing business with the Lord. Sit at Jesus's feet and let his devotion to you through his death and resurrection, lead you to the next step of obedience. Redevote yourself to Jesus today, and then do it again tomorrow. Stand with me, please, as we pray. Lord, we praise you for your faithfulness. Lord, faithful you have been and faithful you will be to us. Lord, we are undeserving people. We repent of how often we get caught up in the distractions and the things of this world, that we miss you, the giver of every good and perfect gift. Lord, we need you. We need your word. We need your people. But Lord, we just need you. So Lord, would the cry of our hearts be today to just need you more. Lord, we can't do it without you. And so Father, would you help us, help your children. Teach us what it looks like to walk as a child as we seek to increase devotion to you. Father, would you please come? We ask all these things in Christ's name.